Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series titled His Story, Our Story. Rather than a series of unconnected events, the Bible is one story, it's the story, and it's also our story. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Well, if you are just joining us today, if if you're a guest, uh, we will try to catch you up a little bit here. But we've been in a series called His Story, Our Story, where we've been walking through the narrative arc of Scripture, the story of the Bible. And as we've walked through this story, what we're learning as a church family is that rather than a series of unconnected events, rather than like this story here and this book and this story here and this story here, rather than that, the Bible is one story. It's one story. And it's the story. And it's also our story. It's the better story. Because there are a whole bunch of stories that are competing for our attention, yeah? But this is the story. And today, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to focus on verses 11 through 16. So if you brought a Bible, you can take that out. You can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you didn't bring a Bible, no worries at all. Uh, There's Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. You can grab one of those. And uh, in those Bibles, we're going to be on page 245. We're going to be talking about the theme of kingdom. Kingdom, And I'm going to jump right into the text here. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 in 2 Samuel 7. And then I'm going to jump down to verses 11 and I'll finish out through verse 16. So here it is, 2 Samuel 7 verse 1. It says, After the king, King David, was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. And what's implied here is that David says, I'm going to build God a house. Jump down to verse 11. But the Lord says to David that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over, And you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Centuries later, centuries after this took place, a carpenter from Bethlehem comes on the scene. Bethlehem, which ironically is the same place where Samuel anoints a shepherd boy named David, king. Carpenter from Bethlehem comes on the scene and he proclaims one message as he walks through towns and villages, he walks roads. There's one message that he proclaims and that's the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is among us. Repent and believe. Believe that it's here. And here's what we're learning today in our text. 
Here's the message in just a few sentences. What is the kingdom of God? What is it? I'll tell you what it's not. It's, it's not a church service. It's, it's not a social club. It's not a collection of self-help techniques. The kingdom of God is a family. It's a family. It's a people. And it's not led by a demanding dictator. It's not led by a distant or detached leader. It's led by a kingly father. That's good news for me. I don't know if it's good news for you. It's a family that's led by a kingly father. And the kingdom of God, it's, it's not a quick fix to a nagging problem. No, it's a slow and steady restoration movement. It's a revolution that has begun and will continue into forever. The kingdom of God is the family of God, trusting the heart of the father and reflecting his glory forever. That's the kingdom of God. It's the family of God, trusting the heart of the father and reflecting his glory forever. And it's available to all who choose to participate. So here's what we're going to do with the time that we have today. What I want to do is I want to paint a picture at a 10,000 foot level. Okay. Of the kingdom. And then I want to step into that 10,000 foot level. And I want to paint a picture at a hundred foot level straight from our text. It kind of gives the same ideas of this idea of kingdom. All right, everybody ready? Everybody good to do this? So let's start with 10,000 foot view. And I want to give us a framework to work with. So if we can take our message notes, we'll just turn them over, turn them to the back page and get your pen. And this framework has been uh, helpful to me as I've thought about kingdom. There's different ways to look at the Bible as a whole. So I want you to write down plan A. Uh, Just over on the left side of your message notes, we're going to make columns. Okay, so write plan A. And then next to that, there'll be a second column that says plan B. And then next to that, there'll be a third column that says plan A. Make sense? We got plan A, plan B, plan A. And underneath the first column, the first plan A, you'll write the name Abraham. And underneath the second column, you'll write the name David. And underneath the third column, plan A, write Jesus. Then we're going to go back to that first column again. And under plan A, we're going to write elected leaders. Then under plan B, we're going to write human kings. And then under that third plan A, we're going to write Messiah. Okay? And if you just want extra credit, let's write Matthew 1 somewhere on the page. Because that will come in handy maybe later. That's just good stuff. That's just extra. So what I want us to see here is that God starts with plan A. And plan A is that he is going to rule through elected leaders. Leaders like Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Judges, Samuel. But once we get to Samuel, the people, they want a king. Like, give us a king. So God's like, okay. He accommodates them. He's like, all right, we're going to move to plan B. And plan B is now that I'm going to rule through human kings. That's going to take us all the way to Matthew. And what happens in Matthew? He says, I'm going to go back to plan A. And I'm going to rule as king through Messiah. Plan A, plan B, plan A. Who's king through all of this? God's king. God's king. God's king in plan A, plan B, plan A. God's king through it all. He rules through elected leaders. He rules through kings. He rules as Messiah. But he's always been king. He's always been raising up a family who will be king-led rather than king-like. 
How's that going for you guys? King-led rather than king-like. I want to be like the king. I want to be led by the king. Major theme in the Bible. If you're following along in the notes, I want to be king-like. I want to be king-led. It takes humility to be king-led. It's done from a posture on our knees. And maybe our question is, I'm all for being led by a king, but what kind of king are we talking about here, you know? Because I don't, I don't know, like, if i got to follow a king, I want to know what kind of king he is. And I want to I say today that he's a father. He's a kingly father. And if you're following along in the notes, he's, he's the kind of king that gives away authority and meets his people where they're at when they spurn it, when they blow it, when they don't get it right. He's a God who gives away his authority. He empowers And then he meets his people where they are when they spurn him. We see this throughout his story, through the whole story. Now, these paintings all the way up to right here, that represents plan A. And if you're just joining us today, what we've been doing is different people from our church family have been creating a painting that represents the theme that we're in for that day. And so from here to the law right there, that represents plan A. We started with creation, right? God was king. And as king, he created a stunning and a beautiful world, a stunning and a beautiful humanity. And what did God do in creation? He gave away his power. He gave away his power. He empowered people. He gave away his authority. Genesis 1.26, he said, have dominion and rule over creation. That's kingdom language. But we don't want a ruler over us, right? We want to rule as God. Genesis 3.5, the snake says to Eve, you're not going to die. You're not going to die if you eat the fruit. You can eat the fruit. God's just afraid you're going to be, be like him. He's going to be afraid you're going to be king-like, right? Oh, king-like, give me the fruit. If I can be king-like, I'll take it. So to solve this mess, God meets us where we're at. He meets his people where they're at after they spurn his authority. And he chooses to raise up one man from whose offspring is going to come a nation And he's going to give a promise. One day that nation will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And all nations will be blessed by this. But this nation, instead of ruling for God, ends up in slavery. Ends up in bondage, guys. Bondage to a ruthless dictator. And listen, listen, you cannot operate in the power and authority of God you're bound by chains. You want to see his power. You got to get out of prison. So God meets his people where they are. He meets his people where they are. He splits the sea and he sets his people free in the Exodus. But they spurn his authority in the wilderness because it's not what they thought it would be. And he meets them again where they're at. And he gives them the law. We learned about this last week. He gives them the law. He says, love me and learn from me as father. And love your neighbor as part of the family. That's my heart. Love me and learn from me as father. And love your neighbor as part of the family. The story goes on and on and on like that. He empowers, they spurn it. He empowers, they spurn it. He meets them where they're at. He empowers again, they spurn it. He meets them where they're at. To the book of Judges we go, where it says that everyone does what's right in their own eyes, which often feels like my house on a weeknight. (laughs) 
But if you're following along in the notes, the people do what's right in their own eyes. What does God do? Meets them where they're at and raises up judges. It's the story of a father giving away his authority to his family to represent him as king. And so we arrive at the end of plan A, 1 Samuel 8, verse 4. And the scripture says, so all the elders of Israel, they gathered together. They came to the prophet Samuel at Ramah and they said to him, you are old. That's how you know when your leadership is done. (laughs) Your people come and say, you are old. It's done. They say, your sons did not follow your ways. Now, here it is. Now appoint a king to lead us. We want a king. Appoint a king to lead us such as all other nations have. And this seriously displeases Samuel because who's king, guys? Who's king? God is king. But the Lord goes on to say, and we'll put this up on the screen in verse seven. The Lord said to him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. This is, this is a garden problem. This is, this is the problem of humanity. He's king. I want to be king. His story, our story. I see myself in that, yeah? So God meets his people where they're at. Right? He accommodates. It's the kind of father he is. He gives him a king. He gives him a king. And we move from plan A, God ruling through elected leaders, to plan B, God ruling through human kings. And the rest of the story of the Old Testament is going to be the story of David, the son of David. We'll see it everywhere, the son of David. And we're waiting on a son of David. And we're waiting on a son of David. But at this point in the story, the king is Saul. Because that's who the people elect. They elect what looks good on the outside. They say, give us a king. We'll take Saul. And Saul is so insecure. He's so wrapped up in his own kingdom that it literally drives him insane. Drives him mad. That's what happens. You get messed up in the kingdom of this world. And in those things... God meets his people where they're at. If you're following along in the notes, the people want a human king. God raises up a shepherd boy. I love that. They want a human king. He raises up a shepherd boy named David, a man after God's own heart, a man who will be king-led, a man who's humble and teachable, and David unites the nations. But is David perfect? No, far from it. No, he's not perfect. But... The nation finds rest from all its enemies. And here we are in 2 Samuel 7, the height of David's reign, the pinnacle of the narrative arc. This seems to be it. You imagine to live at that time. This is like the peak of the mountain. I mean, it's like the whole series. We've been climbing, climbing, climbing up to this point, up to Jerusalem. David's on the throne. The kingdom's been established. The promise to Abraham has been fulfilled. Let's call it. We've arrived. God's like, no, no, bigger. Think bigger. (laughs) 
2 Samuel 7. Verse 1. David's in his palace. The Lord's given him rest. He has seemingly arrived. And he gets an idea. And he says, here I am. Here I am. I'm living in a palace. God's in a tent. I think I've got to build God a house. And the prophet Nathan says, David, the favor of the Lord is upon you. That's a great idea. Let's do it. Let's build this house. But God says to David, verse 5, this is my translation. <laughs> I'm not sure it's the time or place for me to have a house. That's what God says. God says, in fact, I don't even think I need a house. A tent is, is just fine. He says in verse 7, Have I ever mentioned needing a house to any of the other rulers I commanded to lead my people? Never. I've never done that. And guys, sometimes, here's what I want us to see. Sometimes when we think we've got a great idea, sometimes what we think are the best ideas, man, they're small in comparison to what God has in mind. Think bigger. Think bigger. Sometimes when we think we've arrived, that God's like, actually, I'm just getting started. <laughs> Isn't that so true? Don't we think we've made it? He's like, I'm just getting started. David, you're thinking I'm done here. I'm not done with you. You think this is it? But I have so much more in store for you. Some of you need to hear me say this today. God is not done with you. He's not done. He's never done. He's always bringing to completion the work that he's doing in you. And as your father, he has more to do in and through you. He wants you to think bigger. Think bigger. Trust him. Great ideas are poor ideas. Doesn't matter. That's not a prerequisite for participating in the kingdom. It's about trust. It's about trusting a father. God meets David where he's at. He reminds him of what he's done. What's he done in your life? You ever do that exercise? You ever take time to think back on what he's done? That's a good exercise. That's a worthwhile thing to do. What's he done? Where's the grace in your life? I took you from the pasture, he says to David. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock. I appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. Everything that we have from the Lord. I did this in your life. Look back and see it. I took you from the pasture. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And then, and then God starts to tell David what he's going to do. Here's, here's, what, here's my plan. I'm going to make your name great. And he starts borrowing language from Genesis 12. He starts borrowing language from Exodus, the author of scripture here, borrowing language from the promise back then. I'm going to make your name great. That's what he told Abraham. Remember, I'm going to make your name great for David's sake. No, for the sake of the promise, for the glory of the Lord. And I, verse 10, I'm going to provide a place for my people, Israel, and I'm going to plant them so that they can have a home of their own. Straight out of Exodus 15, 17. Song of Moses after they crossed the Red Sea. You want to know what else I'm going to do, God says? I'm going to give deliverance from oppression. I'm going to give rest from enemies. David's sitting on his throne. He says, rest. He's like, what? He's like I've got rest. I'm sitting here on my throne. He says, no. No, bigger, bigger. I'm talking about future rest. I'm talking about rest for humanity. Sometimes, sometimes what we think are great ideas, they just pale in comparison to what he's doing. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what's in store for those who believe in him, 
those who trust him, but he takes what we have to offer because he empowers us. He gives us his authority, empowers us, and he takes what we have to offer, he multiplies it. He does more than we can think or imagine. That's the kind of father that leads the family of God. So God says to David, he says, he says, David, you want to build me a house? I'm going to establish a house for you, actually. He just flips the whole thing. He says, I'm going to establish a house for you. And when your days are over, and that's coming for all of us, right? But think bigger. Think past that. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring. Just like he said to Abraham, I'm going to raise up your offspring. I'm going to make them as numerous as the stars in the sky. I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What's God doing? What's God doing here? He's meeting David right where he's at. He's accommodating David's small idea. He says, you're not going to build me a house, but your son Solomon will. We can build that house but I'm thinking bigger than that house. I'm thinking about a spiritual family that will trust my heart as father and reflect my glory for the benefit of all. And so God accommodates David's idea. And Solomon does build that temple, yes? And the glory of the Lord fills it. And it's spectacular. But what is even more spectacular is the spiritual house that is being built up right now in and throughout the world made up of the sons and daughters of God. That's way more spectacular. 1 Peter 2.5, guys. 1 Peter 2.5. You yourselves, if you know the living God, are being built up into living stones as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Up on the screen, this is who you are, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, a people. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. If you're following along on the notes, David had a good idea. God had a great idea. David's heart is for his nation. God's heart is for the nations. David thought he had arrived, but God was just getting started. And guys, if you want to know God's heart, it is always out, others-oriented, outrageously bigger than we can think or imagine. And you want to be a part of something big? This is it. But he's going to ask you to do something small to participate. Because the kingdom of God is not about one person doing an amazing thing. It's about a whole bunch of sons and daughters trusting the heart of Father in small ways. That's what the kingdom's about. It's not about one person doing an amazing thing, but a whole bunch of sons and daughters trusting his heart. If you're following along, God's heart is to raise up a people he can trust enough to empower with his authority. He wants to raise up a people. The kingdom of God is not just the reign of God. It's the people under the reign of God. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's a restoration movement. And it's taking place through his people right now. A family who trusts 
a father. So God says, I'm going to build a house for you, David. And through your offspring, I'm going to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then in verse 14, he says, I will be his father and he will be my son. I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him. Not as I took it away from Saul, I'll never remove it. Your house and your kingdom, they will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. I'll be a father. You'll be a son. And we gotta, we gotta do some work here. We can't just jump right to Jesus as the son of God. As Christians, it's so easy for us to do that. But we gotta think back to Abraham. Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, which means wrestles wrestles with God, Israel. And what does God say about Israel? God says, Israel's my firstborn son, Exodus 4, 22. Israel's my son, Hosea 11, 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. God's heart is to be a father to a people. Israel becomes a people sons and daughters of God. And so he's saying to David now, David and then Solomon and then Rehoboam and then the son, the son of David is coming and and underneath the son of David is gonna be what? A people, a people for his own possession, his sons and daughters, his children. This is big, this is bigger than David's thinking. Isaiah 63, you're a father to us. You're our redeemer. Second Corinthians 6.15, we're a temple of the living God. I'm going to make my dwelling among you. You shall be my people. I'll be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me. That's why Jesus taught. When I went to him, they said, man, you pray. The way you pray, we have to learn from you how you pray. And he says, pray like this. Our father, our father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Father to Solomon, yes, I'm going to be a father. You're going to be my son. Father to Solomon. Father to Israel. Father to a family that's being raised up. Being a father. Being a mother. Being an aunt. Being an uncle. Being a parent or a grandmother or a godmother or any kind of guardian. Man, that's complicated stuff. Is it not? That's complex it's messy. There's no one way fits all, but you better believe it's as real as it gets. It's relational. It's side by side. It takes communication and tears and misunderstanding and failing and trying again and failing and trying again. And God is the perfect father. He's the perfect father, but it's still messy because it's real and it's honest. I will be a father Solomon and those who come after Solomon. And are they going to do wrong? Yeah, they're going to do wrong. But we, we should never think that, that it's without discipline that God loves us. Like he's just going to say, I love you, just do whatever you want. That's not the kind of father that we have. Look, Solomon, his lust and his greed, they're going to cause him to marry so many women. He's going to institute slave labor. His kingdom, Solomon's kingdom, it's going to end up looking closer to Pharaoh's 
in Egypt than his father David's by the time he's done. And then what's going to happen after Solomon with Rehoboam? Do you know? What happens? The split, the kingdom is going to split, and we're going to get 20 kings on the northern side, and we're going to get 20 kings on the southern, so the scripture says. And do you know how these guys do in reflecting the heart of God? Does anyone know how well they do? Northern. Anybody take a guess? How many out of 20? Zero. <laughs> Goose egg. Zero for 20 in keeping his commandments. What about, what about on the southern? Anybody? Eight. They go eight for 40. It's 20%. And in the mess of 20%, do you know what God does? He says, my love will never be taken away. Never, never. You'll face the consequences for your actions because what you reap, you will sow. But my love is not going anywhere. That's what kind of father I am. The steadfast love of the Lord is forever. Would that I could keep promises like that as a dad? Because I want to, but I can't. He does. He keeps them. (laughs) That is who he is. In the midst of our bad ideas, our good ideas, our bad choices, our good choices, will you humble yourself? Will you be king-led? Will you trust the heart of the father, his sons and daughters, a family under the headship of the king? If you're following along, God's heart is to lead his family as a kingly father and a fatherly king. When I was uh, in junior high, (laughs) I decided one day that I was going to go with some friends to a theme park called Great America. Anybody been to Great America? I had uh, two friends and my girlfriend at the time. It was the four of us. And I thought I was big stuff. And uh, so we went and uh, it was about midday and we got into this candy shop. And I thought, man, I bet I could really, this is a brilliant idea, right? I I bet I could really impress these guys if I like stole one of those Twix bars on on the table over there. I'm looking around, I'm like, there's like nobody in this shop. The person doing the register is way across the room. He's not even looking. Oh, let's do this. <laughs> and so I tell my friends, I'm like, this is what we're going to do. You know, you stand here like I'm some like great. And I, and I walk up to this table, you know, like this, literally. <laughs> and I grab this Twix bar, king size. <laughs> I walk out of the store. And my friends are hailing me hero and they're eating their Twix bars and I'm eating mine and we're in line and there's tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. <laughs> I turn around and there's this guy in clothes, street attire like me and I'm like, blasted undercover agents. I never saw him coming. <laughs> and he says to me, did you pay for that Twix bar? And I said what anyone would say if they found themselves in this predicament. I said, this Twix bar? (laughs) I spent the next three hours in a detention center I didn't even know existed. Great America. Apparently they have lots of these. Didn't know where my friends went. Sat with the other criminals at Six Flags waiting for my father to show up. But he accommodated his schedule And he drove to come see me. And I remember sitting there just stewing in my anger. 
And he got there and he talked to the guy and he came over to me and I remember him saying to me, you know, you know they can press charges. You know, like this can go on your record. That's kind of like a big deal. He said, but they're not gonna press charges. So I don't know, maybe you should like say thanks and sorry. <laughs> and I said nothing to him. And he gave me another chance and I said nothing, I didn't say a word. And I remember clear as day going to the car. My dad's sitting at the steering wheel. I was in the back seat right here. The guy's still talking to him like they became fast friends. And uh, he looks over his shoulder and says, hey, you want to say sorry? And just thanks. I said nothing. Jesus comes on the scene. He says the kingdom of God is here. It's among us. It's present. We have moved from plan A to plan B to plan A again. We don't exist under the rule of David anymore or Josiah or Hezekiah. No, God has come through on his promise. The line of David, he's come through to rule and reign as king. And if you're following along, the kingdom of God is available to all who choose to participate. But the difference, guys, between trusting the father and not trusting the father is one word sometimes. Like, sorry, sorry, thank you, I messed up, I love you. That's the difference between trusting and not trusting. It's in one small decision. It's not in an epic achievement or an amazing idea. Those are good. Those are fun. God gives us that. But it's in a moment, a present moment, a pregnant moment. It's now. Jesus said the time has come. The kingdom of God is here now. It's not someday. It's not next week. It's now in the present. If you're following along, it's the forever family of God, trusting the heart of the forever father. And it's now. And when a whole bunch of sons and daughters say yes to small opportunities like this, restoration and reconciliation happens. The kingdom moves. Forever's now. So we have the opportunity to, uh, to take communion right now, which is a great chance for us to embody what we believe as we participate in this meal. And I want us to do a couple of things during this time, but one thing I want us to do is just to reflect on how God would have you trust him. What's the small thing he's asking you to do? You know, just this week, and guys, I mean, these moments come up all the time. Are they not? Oh, this is, this is life. Trusting the Lord, trusting the Lord. I was in a, a conversation with my wife, Lisa, this week. And speaking of parenting, like, we're trying to do that thing. <laughs> and, uh, uh, man, we got heated talking about this. And all of a sudden, like, my voice is raising and I'm angry. And, and she says to me in just the simplest, calmest voice, she says back to me, hey, hey, let's not let this make us enemies. That's a present moment. That's an opportunity. Say, your kingdom come. 
Like, what is this? My kingdom? Your kingdom. What, what is it for you? Usually this is based around fear, shame, anger, guilt. What is it for you? Where does he want you to trust him? Because trusting him is the best decision you can make. So we're going to take some time to think about that during communion, okay? But if you're here visiting, just a couple things I want to tell you about communion. It's, it's an open table. So if you're here from a different church, man, we'd love to take communion uh, with you. You can take it with us. Um, if you're here today and you've just not made a decision yet to, to say that Jesus is king, that's totally okay. We're so glad you're here. And if you're wondering what you do during this time, we just ask that you let the tray pass. No one's going to look down on you. We'd actually hold you in higher regard. Our ushers are going to come down the aisles and they're going to pass out trays with cups on them. There's going to be uh, two cups and we'll have to separate them. And we'll all take communion together after it's all been passed out. Last thing, Abby Crocker did the painting this week. We're going to put that up on the screen during communion. And just to start our time of reflection right now, I want to read to you what she wrote. What caught my attention in 2 Samuel 7 is the foreshadowing of a greater kingdom that is to come in Jesus. This brought up an image in my mind of a child begging and begging for a toy or crown of his very own and the father giving it to him even though that supposedly all-important toy will not matter in the grand scheme of life as the father has bigger plans for the child. My painting shows that child leaving behind that much-desired crown and choosing to follow the Father's plan for him and walk toward his kingdom. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook. Facebook.